Hello and welcome to another edition of Bring Out the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. JT Van Gilder is joining us today. JT, how are you? I'm doing all right. If, if it would, you know, as we're recording this, it is still a frozen winterscape here in Northeast Kansas. So uh, it's been a fun day. Yeah, it's uh, weird. My, even my hometown of, in South Central Kansas, it was supposed to snow today. So Yeah, no, they got it worse than we did. They didn't yeah. even have school down there. So Wow. That's nuts. Yeah, I wonder what the the weather is going to be like up in West Virginia this weekend. I'm sure our guest today uh, is Smoking Musket editor Bart Keeler. I'm sure Bart can tell us about the weather and a lot more. Well, it's not snowing, <laughs> <laughs> so we have that going for us. Uh, West Virginia actually this time of year is great. Leaves are changing in all the trees, so the mountains look like they're. I mean, it looks like someone took a Norman Rockwell painting, you know, and just put it everywhere except it's real life it's beautiful this time of year but uh no it will not be yeah. snowing it is our homecoming weekend and it's supposed to be kind of sunny and mid 50s so it should be really good weather for the fans who will be in attendance which i know that you all as kansans support that because apparently kansas just loves to pack people into sporting events <laughs> uh, that i've seen the past couple months so uh, you'll appreciate that we're on board with you there and it hopefully will be a good homecoming saturday for the mountaineers well, not not every team in Kansas and KU football don't have fans, but that's pretty typical. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that SCS was allowing fans in their stands anyway. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, I can back you up on that West Virginia though, because I, I drove from Tennessee to West Virginia for the K State game in 2012, and yeah, the the mountains. It's a beautiful drive. Yeah, I thought it was a beautiful game too. I don't know. You might disagree with that one. Uh, the 2012 game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, that one was not fun. That was cold. That was a November game, if I remember correctly. It was cold. And actually, I stayed for the entire game just out of like oh, masochism, wow. but okay. it was not fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's look ahead to this Saturday. K-State, of course, coming off the big win over Kansas. West Virginia had a tough loss to Texas Tech. But, you know, we were talking about a little bit before the Mountaineers have never really been out of a game this season because the, the biggest strength is defense, which is a really weird thing to say about a West Virginia team, but they're sixth nationally in total yards per game, seventh in sacks, you know, up there in quite a few other stats, top two, I think in the conference and most defensive stats along with Oklahoma state, you know, how did this happen for a team that was sixth in defense and eighth in scoring defense in the big 12 last season? Well, I think part of it is guys just got better, specifically our defensive line has improved a whole lot really over three years uh, you can point to the stills brothers for that specifically but you know that has been something even against texas tech it may look like they ran at least their quarterback ran all over us but that was because he broke the pocket and was able to you know take advantage of a lot of defensive backs who had vacated the middle of the field our defensive line got a lot of pressure on him he's just kind of quick i think that's cheating changing a quarterback in the middle of the season that shouldn't be allowed um <laughs> But uh, yeah, that was, it's been really uh, about the defensive front being able to pressure quarterbacks and occasionally stop the run. It's not the best run stuffing defensive line I've ever seen, but they're really active, really athletic, and they do cause problems. They disrupt teams really well. And that allows the defensive backs to make great plays. We got a lot of great playmakers in the defensive backfield. It's been, it shows itself against teams who do enjoy throwing the ball a lot, because if you throw the ball more often against this defensive backfield, they're going to have more opportunities to force turnovers, to break up passes. It's been, it's just fun to watch the guys get out there and play and, and really 
they are a group of guys who really love to make big plays on the ball. They're not, they're going to blow coverages. That has happened on occasion. But for the most part, they're guys who really are good at getting after getting after the ball and making good plays once they get there. Mm-hmm. And just to reinforce that point on defensive back, West Virginia is, I believe, tied for 14th in the country with six interceptions, right behind Kansas State, who actually has seven now. So maybe we'll we'll see some picks this weekend. You know, and you you talk about quarterbacks. And I'm telling you, K State would would love to not have had to change from Skylar Thompson. You know, all due respect to Will Howard, but yeah, here we are. So anyway, but. Uh, obviously, I mean, K-State's focus, though, is, is going to be on establishing the run first, as it always is. JT, I, I think it was good to see Deuce Vaughn start getting more of the carries last game, particularly in the, in the second half. Do you think that's going to carry over to this weekend? Well, I think it's going to have to. He's the best threat that they have, you know, in the ground game. No offense to Harry Trotter, who who's a hard runner. He just doesn't, you know, have have what it takes really to be uber successful at this level, and especially against a good you know, defense, then, you know, you've got to get the ball to Deuce Vaughn and let him do what he does. I mean, and, you know, it's, he's not infallible either. I mean, he had a couple plays against KU even where he got tackled in the backfield. Some of that's blocking. Some of that's just, you know, the play call, but, you know, you've got to give him those opportunities because, you know, if, if you hand the ball off to him five times and he hits a home run on even one of those, that's, you know, it's worth it. Whereas you're not going to get that with a guy like Harry Trotter. But one thing that I hope to see more of was the use of Keon Mosey. He got some more carries there in the second half. I mean, he's about the same kind of back as Vaughn. I actually think he's maybe even he's faster. He's not maybe a shifty, but he's you know faster in a straight line. And then I'd still love to see more of guys like Tyler Burns and Dracadia Wright, who are more of you know power backs but have a little bit more size. Yeah, but. I mean, it just comes back to you got to get the ball to Deuce Vaughn. I mean, he's he's uh, at this point, he's got to be, you know, in in the top spot uh, in the front running for, uh, you know, Big Twelve newcomer of the year. So mm-hmm. you got to get him the ball. Mm-hmm. And so that brings us to our, you know, West Virginia's run defense. Uh, you know, seems to be led by the Stills brothers up front. They've got they've combined for twelve and a half tackles for loss. Um, you know, has that. Front seven been pretty stout, or I guess maybe it's not a front seven for West Virginia. You guys have that lineup. No, it, it would. I would consider it a front seven. Um, okay. it, that's kind of how we run it. But no, you're dead on. You know, the Stills brothers have been incredibly active on the defensive line and getting into the backfield. There's been, I think, the best part about watching those guys is that both of them. You look at them play, and you think these are guys who could make an impact at the professional level. Now, I don't think they're going to be, you know, a top, you know, even a, a first three round draft pick necessarily, but maybe, maybe Dante could be, but Darius and Dante stills are guys that will hopefully continue a legacy that West Virginia has built over the past decade of putting good defensive players into the NFL. And I think that they are, this is a terrible, terrible kind of like cliche that coaches put out there, but they've got great motor and they kind of, keep that mentality for the rest of the team. The defensive line works incredibly hard to get into the backfield and to disrupt both run and pass plays. But it's been weird because I don't think that necessarily our pa- our run defense is like, I don't look at it as saying like, oh, that's a great run defense because I don't think we've necessarily played teams that for me anyway, are great run teams. You know, we played 
Oklahoma State, Chuba Hubbard did his thing against us. But it's just like a cons- I think they're consistent at keeping guys to minimum yardage. And I think that's been the key between the linebackers and the, the defensive line to just keep minimum yardage in the run game. It, it, but it's weird to watch it and go, well, they got like two yards there and three yards there. But they've been consistent at keeping that. And if you're able to keep teams, you know, not breaking big plays in the run game, that can generally help you on defense, especially in this conference where big plays are, you know, a dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. I was curious, looking at Darius Still's stats, he's got an interception. I assume that he's not oh, going to coverage. He has a good answer. How'd that happen? Uh, well, which game was that? Was that Kansas? Yeah, that was the Kansas game. Um, okay. and so basically, well, so basically, um, the quarterback kind of had to scramble a bit through a pass, not a great pass, but I forget which defensive back of ours made a play on it, but he got his hands to the ball almost. I think he almost intercepted it. It wasn't even like the Kansas receiver had a shot. It went right to him <laughs> and happened to go like through his hands off a helmet and up into the air. <laughs> and so Darius turns around and goes out there and just it I mean diving like a beautiful athletic play like dove for the oh, ball. Oh, it was great. I it was great. Yeah, I think it, it was gorgeous. I think I've seen this picture actually. It's I think about it. you know, yeah. 250 300 pound man is like sprawled out full extension <laughs> grabbing this ball and like secures it. They had to review it like oh no there's no way he caught it and I do appreciate Bill <laughs> Flat was like no you have to give him this ball. Yeah. Like, he, this is a yeah. defensive lineman making an interception like but no he was secured the ball underneath he secured his hands underneath the ball had it under like had it fully controlled as he hit the ground. It was it was a great yeah. heads up play. It was a great athletic play and it was a great hands play. It was like it was so weird to see because it was like wait that was a defensive lineman who just picked that off. Holy cow. It was, it was probably the defensive highlight of the season. And that's not wow. saying anything okay. else about the rest of the defense. That was like that incredible of a play. Well, maybe he'll get a Peisman trophy for that. I uh, think he should. I really like that as a Peisman trophy worthy play. Cause of like just the pure athleticism needed to fully extend like that and catch the ball. Mm-hmm. Well, and then, um, so what about the, the linebacker core? It seems like Tony Fields is the leading tackler and kind of the senior leader of that group. You know, how are those guys doing defensively? Yeah, I think the, the the linebacking core gets a little bit overlooked on this team, partially, again, because of the way that you have a really good defensive line and a defensive backfield who are really very active and very disruptive. But the linebacking core, as I mentioned earlier, has been very key at for the most part keeping the run game at bay they are doing their jobs of being a secondary you know hole plugger coming in seeing the run at the line of scrimmage and being able to snuff it out yeah okay they're getting a couple yards per play but they've done a really good job of purely tackling guys downhill runners and it's been it's such an unsung skill and play when you literally just make the tackle but it really has helped west virginia's defense force teams into uncomfortable situations because you know if you run the ball and you get two yards first and you know first down okay great second and eight that's okay or if it's second down and whatever it just forces you to have to think a little bit more about okay this is a weird yardage situation are we going to run it are we going to throw it and it's allowed the other kind of two groupings of defensive players to shine because they've just been very steady so they're very good at just being good at their job they're not going to be they're not someone who like i mean tony fields has been really good to watch he's been 
all over the place when it comes to tackling guys. But again, that comes from just being able to back up a defensive line that's playing well or help out in the pass game where, you know, a guy has a crossing route and he's been able to jump it and make the tackle or make a, you know, a breakup. So it's been interesting to see the linebacking core just be very solid, nothing spectacular, just very solid, do their job and allow the other two cores to be stars on this defense. Mm -hmm. I don't think it'll be a a good test for this Kansas State offensive line, which I feel like has had its ups and downs a little bit. You know, Will Howard's starting to look more comfortable back there. JT, I thought it was really nice to see uh, Case ended up, you know, with the caveat that it did come against Kansas, but 10 different guys caught passes. You know, that's a good way to kind of stretch out a defense, right? Well, yeah, but... You know, you say that it's, you know, it's against Kansas, but, you know, the O-line was still struggling, blocking some guys. Will Howard had sure. had pressure, yeah. Yeah. and that's only going to be worse against a, a better defensive front. But, yeah. you know, that ability to see the checkdowns, you know, 10 different guys caught balls. But part of that was because, you know, if the first guy, second guy in the progression weren't open, he was getting those checkdowns quick, which is incredibly impressive for a true freshman to have, you know, that much command of the playbook to be able to hit the third guy in the progression, you know, without looking like it's anything out of the ordinary. So that's something I think, you know, uh, we all love Skylar Thompson and he plays with a lot of passion and it's great to see, but, you know, from that like pure quarterback standpoint, Will Howard brings something entirely different to the table for K-State and it's, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we already saw some of that against TCU, which is again, another, good defense they play you know fundamentally sound and to see what you can do against West Virginia I think you know it's going to be another good proving ground you know to see just how he handles the best defenses in the Big 12. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely and so Bart I mean if you look at this defense where would you say that the weaknesses or concerns are for you right now? Yeah I think that we still are capable of giving up some uncharacteristic not really uncharacteristic but some untimely big plays that kind of killed us in the texas tech game and really what we found out in this texas tech game is if a quarterback has a little bit of wheels to him we're going to be in trouble it was something that consistently um columbia was able to he saw the defensive line kind of where they were lining up where they were setting up their pass rush and was able to just scoot out of the pocket real quickly and after that, it was a, almost a guaranteed five-yard gain and most time more. So I think if you are Kansas State and you're looking for a way that you could probably hurt this Mountaineer defense, it would be maybe some quarterback draws. I don't know what Will Howard's athletic <laughs> ability is in that regard. Like, I don't know. We're We've not seen, sure yet either. Really. Yeah, okay. Like, I was like, we've seen him against Kansas. <laughs> so I don't really know if he's a scrambler or what, but if I would imagine that he's going to have some opportunities there if he's even the slightest bit fleet of foot to yeah. take advantage of some vacated space by the West Virginia defense that loves to break up passing routes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he uh, he's yeah. not exactly the fastest guy in the football field, but the QB run game's definitely going to be a part of, of any Courtney Messingham offense. And mm-hmm. it reminds me a lot of a younger Carson Wentz in a lot of ways, which you know, makes sense with this coaching staff that they'd find a guy like that, but he's he's not like blazing speed, but but he's going to pick up a few yards here and there with his legs when you just absolutely aren't expecting it. And just like the 70 something yard 
run he pulled off yeah. against TCU two weeks ago when he just ran out of gas before the end of the you know, before he reached the end zone. But but every mm-hmm. once in a while, yeah, he'll he'll pull yeah. one out. But he's not he's not going to be like Colin Klein where he's going to have to run <laughs> twenty or thirty times a game. He yeah, is. and I don't necessarily think that that would be the way that a quarterback run game would hurt West Virginia because I think that you know we would be able to snuff that out pretty well. It's the scramble, it's the rolling out of the pocket type of stuff. So, and I, I do think Howard has some of that ability. I just don't know how yeah. much of that ability he has because I yeah. again, it's I mean to compare the teams that he's played against, it's really not. I mean, not to dismiss that, but it's not the level of a West Virginia or even like you know. Uh, even Baylor's defense seems to be pretty better than what TCU and Kansas have put out there this year. Mm-hmm. When Baylor gets to play, so. I mean, yeah. if yeah, if they <laughs> they get their business together, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, the other thing that interesting with that West Virginia defense is, you know, I don't know a whole lot of details on it, so you can expand on if you want. But you know, they lost their defensive coordinator in the summer. And so they're, as I understand, they're just kind of doing that by committee or how's that working now? Yeah. So, uh, Vic Kenning was uh, let go of his duties this summer after some investigation, uh, ensued, uh, a couple uh, well, one player in, spe- in particular kind of came out and said that he was creating a really toxic, hostile, and f- for some points, racist environment and within his defensive his defensive side of the ball it was something that they stated in meetings he was kind of letting out and and it was just a bad culture so maybe that's one of the reasons why the defense is playing better this year no offense to Vic but you know (laughs) being a little bit more comfortable with who you're playing with uh and playing for might lend you to you know want to play better so that is probably a key that I don't know if I can talk to, but uh, it's not something that I would dismiss completely. But yeah, it's been a weird by committee type of setup. It's not one particular person who is in charge of the defense. They kind of all work together as the head of their position group to determine what the best game plan is for that day. It's worked so far, so I can't, I can't really get too mad at it but you're looking at some guys i think too you have so jordan leslie is probably the one that's if i could say the leader of that group he's the leader of that group mm-hmm. and he has some defensive coordinator experience as well as jamil adai who is a former mountaineer and has come back coaching the cornerbacks and so between those two guys i think that there's a lot of good energy and they've been able to i mean clearly they've been able to energize the defense they've been able to get them motivated to play at a higher level and i think from a defensive scheme standpoint nothing to me looks super different than what they were running but they have been able to i think be a little bit more prepared weirdly enough because it seems like they're just a little bit better able to like i've talked about break up passing routes get in front of a pass and break it up or intercept it in general so that has definitely been a big key and obviously jordan leslie as the defensive line coach has really helped the defense from the defensive line standpoint and adai as the cornerbacks and defensive backs coach those are the two position groups that we do really well with so the committee of defensive coordinator over their respective units on defense has also seem to elevate their respective units. So somehow, some way, all of these coaches, all the players have found a way to come together and raise the level they've been playing at over the offseason despite losing the defensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, maybe you stick with that. You probably save some money that way too, right? 
<laughs> well, you know, in the time of COVID, I think penny pinching is probably smart for any athletic program right now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. for sure. That'll be an interesting battle. I'm going to take a look at the other side of the ball, but take a quick break here, get some commercials in. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. So uh, Kansas State's defense, you know, GT, I think we've talked about it. It seems like we've seen uh, a steady improvement from this group kind of throughout the year. This will be a good test for them against West Virginia's team. But the offense kind of seems to, to come and go a little bit. Is that, is that fair to say, Bart? Yeah. So in our two losses this year, talking about coming and going, in our two losses this year, we've scored a total of three points in the fourth quarter. And that has that's definitely an issue for us. And we've had spurts like several possessions in a row of not scoring uh, just outside of those quarters anyway. So yeah, it's been um, concerning and inconsistency in offense. Mm-hmm. And you got some guys that, that we saw a little bit last season that weren't necessarily starters the whole season, but starting with Derek Deggie. And so what kind of growth have you seen from him as a quarterback? Hmm. That is a trick question. I feel like because <laughs> I think what so I guess for your listeners who weren't fully keeping up with the Mountaineers last year, I mean, I guess that's probably what happened. Uh, we started yeah. the year last year with Austin Kendall, who was a transfer from Oklahoma. I think a lot of Mountaineer fans were really high on Austin Kendall with the thought that, oh man, this guy came from Oklahoma. He was, you know, the only reason he didn't play is because he was behind two Heisman winners and kind of found out that the reason he didn't play over those guys is because he really wasn't that great of a quarterback. No offense, Austin, he's still on the roster. So Deggy came in, I want to say it was the Kansas State game that I think he made his debut. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah. Like, sorry, it's been about 17 years between now and last year. <laughs> yeah, right. um, yeah, it was, it was the Kansas State game. We, we remember that very well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, no, but that's the point. Like, yeah, it, um, it was literally that change of Jarrett Deggy coming in that propelled the offense to score, I think it was like 20 points. Like, it wasn't like an mm-hmm. astronomical amount of points, but overcome and beat Kansas State. What I think we expected then was for Daggy, and he continued that pretty well throughout the next couple of games. He he did perform pretty well throughout the rest of the season. What we expected was, I think, for him to make this huge stride and be almost Will Greer-esque or Geno Smith-esque and be a much better passer. And we haven't seen that this year. I think we have to remember that he's a transfer from Bowling Green, and no offense to Bowling Green, but not the same level as West Virginia, Kansas State, Texas Tech, you know, not the level of Big 12 that we were used to. I mean, he's still a very good quarterback. I'm not saying that he's not a good quarterback, but there are times where his footwork really gets out from him and a lot of his missed passes are, I mean, he just misses guys. And that's a lot of times because his footwork is a little inconsistent, a little wonky, to be honest. He tends to throw going backwards way too much. And that's not the offensive line's problem necessarily. That's a him problem. And that's been the concern. And that's been the thing that you look at our performances and go, man, if Diggy would have just connect on this long ball or he underthrows guys sometimes a lot. Or, oh, if he just hits that back shoulder throw instead of putting it, you know, 
on this position or if he's able to connect on this crossing route. There was a play against Texas Tech, and I forget the receiver exactly, but it was one of those where like we needed – it was like third and – I think it was like third and seven, so we needed seven yards. And maybe it was Letty Brown, the running back. I'm trying to remember. But Daggy throws it, and he throws it at his shoelaces. And the receiver catches it, but at that point in time – you know, your momentum from going up to down to come back up and run has been halted. And there are a lot of throws like that from Diggy where it's like slightly behind the receiver. So he has to slow his run across the field to catch it. And then, you know, by that time, a defender is on him. So little, little things like that have also plagued us all year where it's just a slightly misplaced pass. But as I've stated many times, the one thing that Jarrett Dagey has over anyone else in that quarterback room apparently right now is he has the trust of his teammates and he has the belief of his teammates. And that was something that I think more than anything last year, he came onto the team and looked and felt like a leader of his teammates. And that's what you need at the quarterback position. Whether you like it or not, the quarterback is the guy who sets the tone for the entire team most importantly, the offense. And that's something that he does better than clearly anyone else we have in our quarterback room. Definitely was better than what Austin Kendall did last year and something that he's still been able to do. I mean, I don't think anyone's lost faith in him. I don't think anyone's quit on him. He just needs a little bit more sharpness in his passing game, probably a little bit better footwork and definitely needs to be a better, he needs to lead his receivers better. I don't mean that from like a leadership standpoint. His throws literally just need to be slight, need to be on the right side of the receiver. And <laughs> that has been something that has plagued us all. It's just like those little things that just don't work for him. And it's like, man, if you could do that, we'd be golden. Mm-hmm. It's interesting looking at it. Sargas, the top receiver for West Virginia this year is Winston Ray. And he was a guy that was kind of, I don't know, seems like he was kind of in the mix, but not even necessarily a starter last year. And now he's averaging 72 yards a game. Um, and judging by the fact that he's 5'10", he's also your kicker turner. I assume he's got some some speed to him. But has he kind of taken the next step for you guys this year? Yeah, I think that would be the best way to describe it. I don't think anyone... I was really high on our receiver core at the beginning of the year because I felt like we had a good depth at the receiver position. I felt we had a lot of guys who were very capable of making big plays. Winston Wright is definitely one of those guys. He has actually been a really good receiver at just making he runs his routes really well so he's able to get in a good position to get the ball and that i think that with his speed has helped him just purely just get open so daggy and he have been able to connect really well he also catches the ball more times than not which has been the biggest struggle for all of our receivers this year as we have had really bad case of the drops the one guy who i was looking to this year to have the biggest jump was sam james who had a really good year last year and he's had he had some drop problems last year, but you go, okay, he's a freshman a year, you know, offseason will help. And I don't know if maybe this receiving core hasn't been able to literally practice catching the football as much as they have been in the past. Literally, like that's a COVID yeah. thing, right? Like you haven't been able to practice. You haven't been I mean, I don't know why that would be a COVID restricted practicing technique, but I don't know what they're restrictions are that just seems like that's the only thing I can think of of why these guys haven't been able to consistently secure the football and it's been really really frustrating but yeah Winston Wright has definitely just I think he has a better connection with Daggy. I think his route running is a little bit better and that's something that he definitely has improved on and something that has helped the team all around is he has been a fairly reliable receiver 
Yeah. JT, I don't know about you, but for uh, parts of that, it seemed like Bart was describing Kansas State's receiver core. And, you know, we thought we had the depth. I think it's the thing this year. I don't know why. A lot of drops. Yeah. Well, I feel like, no. like that's, that's kind of a par for the course across the Big 12. I mean, there's not yeah. really a guy that you look at or even a core. You go, man, that, that well, receiver group is really solid. That's one, yeah. Yeah, Tyler I mean, you got Tylen Wallace, but he's only, according to the stats, he's only better than Deuce Vaughn in yards, a running back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and then behind him is Winston Wright from West Virginia. So, I like, I, I feel like the wide receiver core – over the conference is is subpar in general, which is kind of weird because it used to be like we had wide receivers for days and no running backs. And this year it's like every team's got a great running back and mm-hmm. nobody's got any wide receivers that can catch anything. So I don't know if COVID just really destroyed that all that practice time or what, but man, it's been it's been a weird year for sure. Mm-hmm. But at least West Virginia hasn't lost any transfer portal yet, right? K State got that. Earlier this month, when Josh Young both left, we but, lost someone who wasn't significant. I hate to say okay. that. I'm trying to. I like his name escaped me. It wasn't anyone who I was like, oh boy, that's. Gonna be <laughs> well, we lost a couple of, like freshmen, like true freshmen that had never played. Yeah, and then a defensive lineman that had barely played, and then yeah, you. I mean, you bring up Josh Youngblood, and he was an All American last year, but mm-hmm. he hadn't return. done anything this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, not even in the return game. So it was just, yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it seems like it seems like his state's return game might be okay, based on last week. So I don't know. Yeah, punt return yards is that good? Uh, <laughs> when you, good. when one person has more punt return yards than any other team in the nation, yeah, I, I think we're doing all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a legitimate fear I have is like watching <laughs> another Kansas State returner just tear go right through our punt coverage or kick coverage and just watch watch him just go right through our return. Well, I would I would zone. hope that Neil Brown is smart enough that you know maybe he houses the first one and then you go you know what just, just kick it out of bounds don't, like like don't even yeah. like try to get it downfield just kick it out just kick it out of bounds <laughs> don't just keep kicking it at him right I mean, if you're not working on, working on your angled kicks and practices leading up to Kansas State then you're not paying attention <laughs> <laughs> I you know and I hope you're right but I will say that one of the criticisms I have of Neil Brown this year is our team looks a little unprepared for games and again maybe that's a COVID thing I'm sure they're not meeting as much as they possibly have been I respect that but we are I don't know where we rank in penalties but I'll rank us last because it's been dreadful of how many penalties we give up or we commit a game pre-snap penalties stuff like that it's just and, and little things that just you could look at and go we didn't I mean, we gave up a kick return a, a kickoff return to eastern Kentucky uh, it got called back because of a penalty, but I mean the penalty wasn't the reason they they scored the touchdown off the kickoff. It was, yeah. it was a legitimate kickoff return. So yeah, I'm gonna say that. I mean, bold prediction. I think Kansas State will return a kick for a touchdown against us on Saturday. Okay. Yeah, either that or maybe you know, Kansas State had its streak of blocked kicks in last week. That was slightly disappointing. It's very unfortunate. Although, although one of those would have probably been a block kick that the one where Kleiman called a timeout right before halftime, and then that turned into a punt return for a touchdown. So I'm okay giving up the block there. Yeah, it all worked out with the exception of the AJ Parker injury, obviously. Right. But you know, the other other part of the West Virginia offense, I mean, it seems like Letty Brown has been pretty effective this year, not only as a runner, but 
in the passing game too. You know, what has he been able to do? I, I assume that's no relation to Neil Brown. No, they uh, they are not related. <laughs> you could take a look at them and see that they're not related. But um, <laughs> no, the only problem I have with Letty Brown is that we don't give him the ball enough. To be quite honest, it it I, it really felt against Texas Tech that the only way we were going to gain yards was to give the ball to Letty Brown. He was he was he's been really good all season. This was actually the biggest surprise I think for all of us at Smoking Musket of like quiet confidence coming out of eastern kentucky i know it's an fcs team but we ran the ball really well against them i mean like really well against them we had let's see if i i'm trying to make sure i get my numbers right because i wrote them down and now i'm not quite sure yeah we had almost 300 yards rushing against eastern kentucky like it was it was over 300 yards rushing against eastern kentucky letty brown wasn't all of that but that was a really good day for us on the ground and that was something that we were not expecting coming into this year we struggled to run the football last year i mean it was really bad from both running backs who i don't know if they were necessarily i won't actually i can't make that statement the offensive line was really bad at blocking so i don't know if our running backs were able to not see holes or if they just weren't seeing the holes that were there i don't know if there were holes there for them to see but you could see glimpses of it both sinkfield and brown their two running back when they were able to you know like on a stretch run or even on some you know kind of bubble or some screens to the running backs it was really apparent that once they got into some open field they were able to make guys miss they were able to gain chunks of yardage They've been able to do that this year. Specifically, Lady Brown's been able to do that from taking the ball from the handoff and going up the middle. And so credit the offensive line for improving because they have been able to open up holes, which, again, we just didn't see that last year. It was a struggle last year to watch this team try to run the ball. And this year it's been super effective. And I definitely think the offensive line, it's not necessarily like a seasoned offensive line. There are some young guys on that offensive line, especially uh, at the tackle position. but They've been better at getting off the ball quicker and just getting once our guys can break through the, the the line, it's been really effective. They've been really good at making guys miss or just bringing guys with them. But there have been some really big plays in the run game that is really nice to see based on what we saw last year. It's the biggest surprise of this West Virginia team is how much improvement we've seen from 2019 to 2020 running the ball. Yeah, well. I mean, JT, do you think this is going to be the best running game that K-State has seen this season? Yeah. Um, yeah, overall, yeah, these next two games, I mean, we got we got the big right. pairs well, in, sure. in Letty Brown and, and Sinkfield here for West Virginia. And then the next game, we got Chubba Hubbard and, and L.D. Brown at mm-hmm. Oklahoma State, which is not confusing. But yeah, and that's, that's something that the, the front seven at K-State has struggled a little bit against against the rushing attack. That was what was kind of hurting us against Texas Tech. We had some problems even against Arkansas State with the running game that it letting them get five, six yards a carry. You know, we were even struggling against KU and their O-line can't block anybody. And and Velton Gardner was still getting, you know, four or five yards a carry up the middle. So I, I'm not sure what, if it's, you know, if it's a scheme thing or, or, you know, if they're worried about the passing attack more and giving up those rushing yards. But yeah, it's definitely something to be on the, you know, if West Virginia, you know, is 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 winning this game, I think Letty Brown's having a big day, you know, 100, 150, 160 yards, and we're just screaming, you know, why can't you stop that guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it could, it could be an interesting battle of, of running backs, and Bart, I think we can certainly relate to 
you know, wanting coaches to, to give the ball to the, the running back more. He's got like, like the second most carries in the conference right now. <laughs> like, but yeah. yeah, I could see that. I mean, yeah. Well, Brown, but Brown is bigger. So, I mean, Vaughn, how much do you think it is, JT, that it coaches, you know, especially in a season like this where his conditioning is maybe not as good, that they want to make sure that Deuce Vaughn doesn't get hurt? Well, yeah, definitely. Like, I, I think it's more more about him being a true freshman. And uh-huh. then, like, that the pass blocking bit. Like, he's, he's just not going to, you know, have he's going to have a hard time blocking defensive ends and linebackers coming around. So you, you just can't keep them out there all the time, which means that, you know, then you've got to sub them in for different packages and it may just be easier to run, you know, one of the bigger guys, you know, if he's already in there, but yeah. And we've seen each game, he's gotten a few more carries, a few more touches. I think, yeah, a lot of it's just, you know, he's a true freshman and and you've got to get him, you know, he's used to playing football. He came in in great shape. His dad's a NFL scout, former college coach, like he knew what it took to start right away. But at the same time, it's still, you've still got to get up to playing at this level. And, and it, there's, a, there's a reason there's not many true freshmen that, that start across the league unless they're, you know, five-star talents and they're talking about him being NFL ready out of high school kind of thing. Yeah. And I would think especially that's true in a year where they couldn't do nearly as much contact in, in fall camp because – Obviously, at this level, the physicality is going to be a huge difference. So, I have a oh, question yeah. about Juice Vaughn. Like, yeah. how is he not more involved in the past game? Because is that a Kansas State thing, or is that just like a I, like? Because to me, he's the very typical back you would want in the past game, catching the ball, going downfield with guys. That's just me, though. Well, he's the second leading receiver in the conference okay. right now. So, I mean, they they get him the ball. It's just then you, you know, he's also our best receiving threat. So, so he gets, you know, they notice when he lines up and and winds out some of his best runs are when the coverage gets off and the linebacker gets stuck on him. And, you know, the linebacker has zero chance, but Mm -hmm. if they can prepare, if they have another, you know, five seconds to realize where Vaughn is and can get a safety over or, or even a nickel back over, then, then he, he, you know, he's only getting 10 yards a catch as opposed to, 30. Yeah. Well, and yeah, to your point, Bart, about just how dangerous he is, he's averaging almost 28 yards per catch. Yeah, that's what I'm like. Like, you look at a stat line, you're like, this guy needs to get the ball every play. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But like JT said, you know, he's not in on a lot of those passing plays because yeah. he's not the best blocker yet. So you, you can't always put him in a lot of third downs. It seems like Harry Trotter's kind of the third down back right now. And to their credit, I think the coaching staff is real big on the you know, every guy is important. No one guy is, you know, bigger than the team. And so they want to spread the ball around. They they don't want to be one dimensional and rely on Vaughn to be the offense. You know, they want to get Riley Moore involved. They want to get Sebastian Taylor involved in the passing game. They desperately tried to get Malik Knowles <laughs> into the <laughs> passing game against Kansas and, and he still has trouble catching the ball. But yeah, they're I mean they're trying to spread it around so that you don't run into that situation where you've got to rely on one guy. And if God forbid he gets hurt, then what do you do next? But yeah, I, you know, even two or three more catches Bond's way would, would be nice. Definitely. Mm-hmm. We'll see. But 
Yeah, I guess, you know, just kind of looking bigger picture then, this is Neil Brown's second season. You know, he was, I recall, he was one of the guys that kind of name got brought up in the K-State coaching search as well. You know, it seemed like it was widely regarded as a pretty good get for West Virginia. You know, how do you think he's doing so far? So if you were to look at my tweets uh, on Saturday, I would not, you would probably think I don't think very highly of Neil Brown. I apologize for the slander that he received that way. (laughs) Uh, maybe that's liable on Twitter. I don't know how that works uh, from media law there. But <laughs> I've been frustrated this year because I think there's talent on this team. And he's done a much better job recruiting than Dana Holgerson ever did. Dana Holgerson was really good at finding like two or three guys a class who were good. And then the rest of that was like, well, I guess we got to have an offensive lineman. Whereas Neil Brown is much is a much better leader of a program. I think that is very apparent. But we look at the on-field product this year and something that has just been abhorrent it's been something that like you just can't have game in game out we we average 87 yards a game from penalties i mean we're at at one point i think we averaged double digit penalties a game i don't think that was the case against texas tech but like things like maybe he got it cleaned up maybe he got it cleaned up but like that right there was something that as a fan base we were really upset with and then from a team standpoint you have to look at it and go why are we shooting ourselves in the foot so often? This was a very bad against Oklahoma State, and not the reason we lost, but it was the reason we looked as bad as we did against them, um, despite, well, the, the score line looked as bad as it did, not you know how well we played. But it's been something that on offense, especially pre-snap penalties, I mean, be it a false start, a motion penalty, illegal formation, all these things seem to pop up time and time again. Uh, against Texas Tech, we had... I don't think it even amounted to anything because I think that they had they reversed the call of an interception. But uh, we made a great defensive play, got the ball back, and for some reason, oh, I forget his name, but the guy who had just been ejected from the game for targeting because you know now they stay on the sideline mm-hmm. came off the bench onto the field, <laughs> and it's like, of course, one, of course, you're going to get a penalty for that. Like that's, but that's a dumb penalty. What? What? Why are you doing that? What yeah. are you like? You shouldn't even be doing that if you're fully clothed, ready to play. Like, if you are in pads and a helmet, you shouldn't be doing that. You don't come off the sideline to go celebrate on the field like that. Yet he did. And it's like things like that are frustrating to watch because that is something that absolutely takes away any momentum you just created for yourself by a big defensive play. Even if that played actually at the end of the day didn't matter because it was a null play. It's stuff like that where we can we continually shoot ourselves in the foot with stupid penalties and then there's a matter of sometimes from an offensive standpoint there's some been i don't want to say questioning questionable play calling because i'm not smart enough to tell neil brown how to call you know his (laughs) his football game but you look at it and go okay clearly we didn't prepare well for this defense and maybe we didn't maybe that's a legitimate thing of this year it's just about hey we're gonna get what we we're gonna do what we want to do and not really try to change up the game plan too much against each defense, right? Like if Texas Tech, you know, they've been decent on defense, but I wouldn't say that they've been, you know, a world beater. And we just, we struggled to gain any consistency because it felt like, you know, we would do something that would work and then Neil would just go, okay, we're going to change, go to this, you know, we're going to, okay, we just, we got a couple of good runs. Great. Nope. Now we'll throw the ball deep. And it's like, we haven't connected on the deep play all game. And yes, you have to do that to, for consistency you have to do that to keep them on their toes i get it i get it but 
sometimes it's just like, Neil, you're out thinking yourself. And I think that does come down to a little bit of a lack of preparation without sticking to the game plan on offense. I don't know if that's COVID related. I don't know if that's a Neil Brown thing, but that has been a couple of the criticisms I'll have of Neil Brown, but it's only year two. You didn't have an off season. You barely had any sort of preseason. I can't fault him too much, but I do expect the guys to not commit double digit penalties a game. I right. think that's well, not a whole case, lot to ask for. Case they had, what was it, JT? Was it seven or eight penalties in the first quarter? It was an ungodly amount. I mean, yeah. it, at one point we were talking about what was the record for penalties in a game, and it was obscene. So the funniest moment, and then there was the funniest moment was after like the seventh one or something. They had, they called a holding on a kickoff, and he called it on the the kicking was, team. And then right as he went to break, you heard, "Oh, sorry, that was on the returning team." <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, okay. right, right as the first quarter ended. Like yeah. at that point, it had been all K State penalties, yeah. and they were all just ridiculous like that. And then, yeah, that the one right before the quarter ended, and like, oh wait, we got it wrong. Whoops! Yeah. Like the announcers didn't even have a chance to comment on it because it was a regular commercial, as the referee said that. <laughs> That's actually kind of awesome. I wish I could see that, like yeah. that, like level of just well, yeah. Well, I can't blame you. <laughs> yeah, it was it was something. So yeah, I mean, how is the COVID going thing going for you? I mean, it's like maybe for you personally as a fan, I wouldn't want to make try to make you speak for the whole fan base, but you know, I think a lot of us, it's a little difficult to you know be quite as enthusiastic about the football this year. But you know, it's still nice to have it for sure. But I mean, what's that been like for you? For me personally, I think it's been it's been nice to do, to see, to watch on Saturday. Uh, it's been nice to talk about rewatch during the week it's still very hard to digest everything this is actually this has nothing to do well i guess it does have to do with the pandemic but it's more of a a, a kind of conversation that i've heard a lot recently is that we actually kind of maybe for a while there had like sports overload because you know we didn't have basketball or baseball for a long time and i, I live in atlanta i'm a braves fan so you know, for about, you know, three, four weeks there, I was super ingrained in our playoff games that were happening every day that come Saturday. I'm like, wait, oh yeah, West Virginia plays tonight. Oh, and my, you know, my soccer team plays and oh, the Braves play and and, and oh crap. Then tomorrow I had the Falcons. It was like almost too much sports, um, which is weird coming from a guy who would watch sports all day, every day. <laughs> but like, yeah. it's felt a little like, I'm not taking it for granted. That is not how it is. Cause I've realized today that we're like in week eight of the season. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. That can't be, <laughs> um, you know, and, and very much like a, in that panic of like, Oh gosh, it's almost going away, but it is hard to fully appreciate everything that's going on in this college football season. When you, you know, I'm thankful the big 12 for the most part has been able to give our teams, our student athletes away to play football this year. Cause I think that the big 10 and PAC 12 just absolutely flubbed and punted and fumbled every single thing that they possibly could have done to prepare their teams and give them a way to safely play this year. So I'm thankful that the big 12 has done that, but it just still feels like it's not the most important thing. And that's probably a good thing. You know, I think we needed that reminder that sports isn't the most important thing, but it is definitely an outlet that we have missed and, and we have it back and it's nice to yell at a TV for three hours on a Saturday now. Yeah. It's gotta be kind of tough for Falcons fans right now to be told you're not supposed to hug anybody. 
we'll see. It um, you know, if you just pretend like it doesn't matter, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> and it's really hard to hurt when you know it's going to happen. <laughs> All right. There you go. There you go. Uh, it's, um, yeah, it, it was, uh, oof. oh, I could go on for some Atlanta stuff right now because the way yeah. the Braves cracked out of the playoffs and the way the Falcons have literally blown four games this season. And then you even got your your best soccer player goes and signs with a team in Saudi Arabia. What's that about? Yeah, I mean, mean, best is a subjective statement. I wouldn't necessarily qualify. (laughs) Uh, No, we gave, I mean, we sold him for four million more dollars than we bought him for. So I'll take the turnaround on that. I'll take the ROI. But yeah, then, yeah, Atlanta United has been crap this year because our best, the best player gets hurt and we sell our next best player. I should have said best active player. Yeah, that's no, you're very right. And the one who had the most potential to score definitely sold him, you know. So that and it's been weird. Like, I've, I usually uh, am the type of person who I definitely watched more MLS games when they first came back. Sorry, this is a big tangent on sports. We're just going with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. so like, loved what I'll shout y'all out. Loved watching Kansas, Kansas City play. Like, I'm a yeah. huge fan of watching sport in Kansas City. I love what they do with their club. But now it's like, well, I don't have time to do that because I'm like, I got to fit these other teams that I care about in. Yeah. So I'm not watching John Luca Busio's progression uh, yeah. to possibly a deep lying playmaker. And I'm not watching Johnny Russell. You're not watching the very sad decline of Zussi and Beasley. Yeah, you know, they're <laughs> old. It happens. I still have very fond memories. They've done so much. So much yeah. Tim Melia has been my starting goalkeeper on my MLS fantasy team for like seven weeks now so i'm, I'm appreciative of oh, that yeah. okay yeah it's been a very like for me as a soccer fan it was really cool to get soccer back first you know because yeah. like we had the yeah. european soccer so i was like soccer 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 right. then basketball comes back and I'm like okay cool basketball my team wasn't in it so it was really hard for me as you know a hawks fan not that we expected to but it was like all right cool you know watch the finals watch some of the playoffs it was very entertaining the problem was the football comes back right at the start of the nba finals and we're all yeah. watching the nba finals and then it's like yeah. Half the football games, I felt like, unless you're Baylor and all of your football games, you know, they all got canceled <laughs> at some point because of COVID. I think that's cheating. And I will not let Baylor off the hook on that. They have somehow managed no. to get 72 bye weeks in between each game that they've played. I think that is cheating, <laughs> and the Big 12 should look at that. But there is nothing, if not a bunch of cheaters. So, sure. I mean, <laughs> I'd say we could investigate Baylor, but that's not going to amount to anything. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're pretty used to that by now. Right? It's just speaking of the the, the basketball thing, I was interested to see JT. I don't know if you saw. um, So I guess Toronto is thinking like, if the season starts in December and you know you still can't go to Canada or whatever, or Toronto is not allowing games, then the Raptors are gonna have to find a new home. And apparently, the mayor of Kansas City said, "Hey, we've got this nice shiny stadium that you can come play in." Uh, I had not seen that, but that would be glorious. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool, I think. I'm sure they'd have to somehow strike a deal with the University of Kansas and Adidas to get that to pay off. (laughs) Yeah, Bill Self makes some calls. Uh, That actually would make sense, because I know for um, Toronto FC and MLS, they played in Hartford, Connecticut at Rensselaer Stadium, because UConn's not playing football this year. And then for the Blue Jays, they played at the Buffalo Minor League Stadium. So, I mean, like, of all the options the sprint center is probably the best possibility yeah. you could have. I don't know if another like big basketball arena in a good, you know, city that would exist. That, mm-hmm. that isn't already, you know, has like an NBA yeah, like, team, yeah, like, exactly. like a bunch of New York teams or something. I mean, yeah. 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 Otherwise you'd be playing in a college arena somewhere. 
<laughs> essentially. Yeah. yeah. I like this plan, actually. That makes sense mm-hmm. for Toronto. Yeah. Be cool. <laughs> anyway, now that we've Good. gone off on this big sports tangent, <laughs> can we get back and ask you to make a prediction for Saturday? It's another 11 a.m. start, by the way, which seems to be all that Kansas State is playing. I, I can't complain too much. I, I don't mind it at all, really. Every home game we've had has been, for us, in God's country, a noon start. So, um, you know, it's weird. Actually, so this is my prediction, and it's based solely on the fact that West Virginia at home is undefeated. And I don't think Kansas State has necessarily faced adversity, like having to travel a lengthy travel period to West Virginia. I do think that one of the struggles that West Virginia has had on the road this season is an actual, like, that is a long travel ordeal to go from West Virginia to anywhere in the Big 12, which is another topic of conversation. But I think that is a legitimate issue for Kansas State having to travel to Morgantown, West Virginia. And I I do think that factors a a lot into how ready they'll be able to play the game. So I'm going with West Virginia wins 31-28. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Oh, JT, I don't know what the spread is. I don't know what the over-under is. It just feels I, like that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't know the spread. JT, do you have any concerns that, I mean, especially with such a young team, you'd like to think that Kleiman, you know, has been around long enough. He knows how to prevent this sort of thing. But is there any danger of looking ahead to kind of the big showdown at Oklahoma State next week? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a real possibility. I think, you know, regardless of how good the coach is or how good the team is, like, you know, when you're rolling and you, and you know that there's another team right ahead that's rolling – yeah, it's it's definitely hard to not overlook somebody that maybe looks a lot more beatable than that team that you're really gunning for. But at the same time, you know, these guys, you know, have it in their minds, just like all the K-State fans do, that that loss in November to West Virginia, that huge, you know, surprising loss that, I mean, because they overlooked West Virginia, you know, they saw them as, you know, the, this five loss team and like, oh, they're going to be terrible. Well, you know, we don't have to worry about it. We're going to beat them. And then guess what? They showed up to play and and you didn't. And so there's there's so many guys, so many leaders on this team that remember that, that were, were there that, you know, I don't think they're going to be overlooking them as much as as we the fans are. Yeah. I think I think yeah. they're going to want some revenge. And, you know, I, I kind of agree with Bart on, on the score. I was going 30 to 28, but I was picking K-State 30 to 28. Have like uh, three Blake Lynch field goals in there. The last one coming pretty late just to steal the win on the road. But it's going to be it's going to be a close game. It's going to be tough. And I don't. Yeah, I think the, the winner is going to be decided in the last minute. Well, it looks like, according to my ESPN app, the spread is West Virginia by three and a half, which is typical Vegas disrespect, you know. Well, it's yeah, basically a push them because home team <laughs> yeah. gets three points. Yeah. So, like, I think it's a toss up. Upset. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I think if we win, it'll definitely be an upset. I yeah, just I think, think it'll get, feel I like an upset. Home. Yeah, I think at home we have that advantage, which clearly that's what Vegas is telling us. But, like, I think our advantage is just that, like, Kansas State having to travel. That is a, you know, y'all haven't had to travel outside. I mean, what's the farthest you've had to go? TCU? I don't know how yeah. that far that is for you all, but, like, that's not the same I'm as traveling, yeah. you know flying to Morgantown or flying to Clarksburg and busing to Morgantown or Pittsburgh Mm -hmm. and busing to Morgantown. So I think that definitely has a factor that most people aren't prepared for in this, this particular climate. I I would remind our listeners that Kansas state was a 10 point underdog in that game at TCU. And we all know what happened in that one. So don't panic. How big of an underdog were we against Oklahoma? 
Oh man, I think it was twenty something, wasn't it? Especially coming off of that loss to Arkansas State, I think it was yeah. like twenty something point. It was pretty brutal. Speaking of, and we were only like a seventeen point favorite over KU. Yeah, I hear the Chiefs are twenty and a half point favorites against the Jets or something like that. Ooh, I want to throw that out seems my low. That definitely seems low. Week, or interesting note of the week. Okay. So Darius and Dante Stills, they're brothers. They're from Fairmont, West Virginia. Their uh-huh. dad, Gary, was a linebacker at West Virginia. Played for the Kansas City Chiefs. So there you go. There you go. All right. My favorite set of the week is actually um, sort of well, it's West Virginia because. We all saw Texas Tech had that 87-yard punt. There must have been a hell of a win behind them or something, I guess. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That was actually uh, – that direction at the game, it was actually yeah. kind of – you can, it was very noticeable, the yeah, win okay. in that game. I mean, it's Lubbock. Mm-hmm. So you so. had that, and then you said Boise State went off the up back because I guess the guy punted it off his toe <laughs> and it went negative 38 yards. So the difference between the longest and shortest punts was 125 yards last week. College football. Well, and did you see the Rice Middle Tennessee game where <laughs> the, the field goal got four doinks and yeah. still missed? Yeah. Like it hit the upright, then the crossbar, then the upright, then the crossbar, and then bounced in the end zone. And that was a game winner in overtime yeah. in a the game they, they lost. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> see, this is college, college football, football, man. No <laughs> sport can create the stupidity and chaos that is college football. And that's why we love it. Counterpoint, did you watch the last play of Game 4 of the World Series? Oh, God. Okay. Well. <laughs> that was pretty stupid. That was multiple stupid. <laughs> Former Royal, Brett Phillips, the hero in that one. So, that was cool. What's it like to win a championship? Um, it was pretty fun. It was, it was fun. <laughs> it's, it's, we know it's going to be another 30 years before the Royals make the playoffs again. But, um, right. No, we'll be no. old and gray, but they will win one again in 30 years. Yeah. So it'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I suppose we should wrap this up. Bart, how can people follow you on Twitter? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Bartimus Prime 19. You can follow us, uh, the Smoking Musket, at Smoking Musket. We are not holding back any punches right now on Twitter. So follow <laughs> as you may. But we are highly entertaining. I will say that much. Yeah. I think it's currently what a spooky musket or something. Yeah, the spooking musket was wear a, ma- a smoking wear a mu- musket. Now it's the spooking musket. That's what we do during Halloween. It's just fun, you know. Yeah, yeah. you guys are definitely pretty fun to follow on Twitter. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> that is yeah. Matt Kirchner and uh, Mike Miller, site director and editor. So they are great at the social media game. Yeah, and do you guys have a podcast that you do? I don't have a podcast on there, but West by Pod Virginia. Oh my god, I hadn't podcast. seen the uh, the profile picture in a while. I hadn't paid attention. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> um, go give us That's a follow. Intense. Check out our Twitter That's page intense. and see the profile picture that yeah. JT is talking about. Yeah, I'm like, no, apparently I'm podcast. not already following you. That's weird. I thought I was. <laughs> well, we appreciate the follow. Fix now. All right. Look, we are just good. glad we're in the Big Twelve and long for the ride for as long as we're I here. just I just wish we could have brought Pitt along. That way we could have brought the backyard rivalry and, <laughs> and had a little bit more fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. I called Texas a rivalry today in our Facebook and a lot of our fans didn't like that. I'm like, well, who the hell else is it gonna be? But, <laughs> you know, maybe Kansas State can be that. Yeah. Maybe. We've got fun <laughs> I like y'all too much. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right well thanks for joining us bart we appreciate it thanks for having me yeah jt thanks as always that was fun
Glück gehabt. Oh, yeah.